0: Now, we had already scheduled a guest speaker uh, for for this weekend, and I'm glad. I had thought I was going to be out of town, but I'm really glad that I'm not because I get to introduce her. So I'm going to introduce you to Oshida Moore. Now, I've known Oshida's husband for probably 15 or more years, and then I've got to know them as a couple over the last 10 uh, we just sort of network in the same kingdom circles, and they're solid kingdom people. Uh, they pastored a church for a number of years in Boston, and then they pastored a church in Los Angeles, uh, and then, to my great delight, they have just moved up here to God's country uh, from Los Angeles. What a trade-up. What a trade-up that was. Uh, and, and so now uh, uh, her husband, T.C. Moore, is, is pastoring um, the, uh, uh, what's it called within the other church? What? What? Covenant? Roots. Roots. Oh, Roots Covenant. Yeah, Roots Covenant. I thought you were saying Rose. It's like that inside didn't sound right. Yeah, Roots Covenant, it's in the Midway area, uh, a multi uh, uh, ethnic congregation. Now, uh, uh, Oshida is an author. In fact, uh, where's her book? I left, uh, did I leave her book over there, honey? She's got a great book. I've heard great things about this. It is called Shalom Sisters. Shalom Sisters. So you want to check this out. It, uh, it looks really good. I've heard good things about it. And you can get that on, on Amazon.com. Uh, she also has a blog by that same title, Shalom Sisters. So she's uh, an author. She's a blogger. She's a teacher. She's a preacher. Uh, she's a mother to three adorable children and a wonderful wife to a so-so-looking uh, husband. And uh, I told her this was the rowdy crowd. So w- but can this rowdy crowd give it up for Oshida? <laughs> Oshida, Moore, come on down. God bless you have fun be anointed
1: thank
0: you bless you
1: I almost was, almost got rowdy in this microphone I was like I don't want to do that to my friend's ears that's that's not a good way to start our relationship this morning good morning with how are you good morning okay I am going to uh, put my book right here because I'm proud of it but it's going to be a distraction sitting right up here so good morning so I like Greg said I am a mom and a wife, and we just moved here from Los Angeles, which is really fun, because when I tell people that we moved from Los Angeles, there is this genuine sense of concern that comes across their faces. They're like, are you okay? Have you traumatized you with the snow? Do you want to go back? And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm actually really happy because I loved Boston and I love the seasons in Boston. And uh, and so coming to God's country, as Greg puts it, feels like coming home. It also feels like home to be with you guys because I have been a pod a very proud pod for like the past 10 years. And I found Woodland Hills when I had uh, my second, or my third child. So, see, my husband and I lived in Boston, or, uh, lived in New Orleans before Hurricane Katrina hit. We were doing urban ministry in an underdeveloped neighborhood called Hollygrove. We were there until Hurricane Katrina hit, and at that point, I had a three-year-old and I was nine months pregnant with our second. Like, we actually were not sure if we were going to have that baby on the evacuation route from New Orleans to Texas, which is my hometown or home state. So we moved to New Orleans, and then my husband wanted to go to seminary in Boston, moved to Boston, had a bit of sanity. And then my husband took a job in L.A., moved to L.A. and here. And so as you can see, I have three kiddos, a 15-year-old, A 12-year-old and 11-year-old. So when the two youngest were just itty-bitty babies driving me crazy at 2 o'clock in the morning, I needed something to tether me to the outside world so I didn't feel so isolated and lonely. I needed something that was Jesus-centered to remind me of who I was. And Woodland Hills became that uh, tether for me. And so, again, it feels like I'm coming home. So thanks for having me this morning. (laughs) Amen. So like Greg said, I'm, I'm super passionate about talking about us living out the, the culture and the way of the kingdom of God. And so I like to think of that uh, with the word shalom. And so a lot of us, when we think of the word shalom, we think of peace. And that's, that'll, that'll work, but it's a really surface word. Um, I like to think of shalom as a deep, rich Uh, concept. It's God's vision for the world as it should be. Nothing broken, nothing missing, everything made whole. Uh, Shalom is what happens when the love of God fills us and we're able to live it out in our world. And so that's why I'm so excited to be carrying on this series that we have been going through about next level relationships. So just a quick recap so we know where we went, so we know where we're going. Uh, We started with Greg when he talked about moving over. And so there's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. And so when we fill that God-shaped hole with anything other than the love of Christ, when we fill it with anything other than our identity as beloved, when we are looking at our Instagram feeds, or we're looking at the dollar amount in our bank account, or we're looking at the status of our relationships, or we're looking at how cute we are on Sunday morning. When we are looking at those things to give us an identity, to fill that God-shaped hole in our hearts, we are incapable of living out the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus is essential if we're going to take our relationships to the next level. The next thing we talked about, we went, we went moving deeper. And so at that point, we talked about the importance of vulnerability and rejecting that impulse to hide, which naturally comes when we feel, uh, when we can't rely on the things that the world tells us to rely on our identity. And so when we are stripped of those things and we're only relying on the love of Jesus, it can feel really, really scary. And so we have this impulse to hide. And so we as a community explored the power of vulnerability so that we do not hide from God and we do not hide from each other. And then, the, and then what we talked about last week was moving slower And I really love last week because I'm a practical kind of gal, and last week we talked about the power of listening in a world that will not stop talking, and how we can use talking and we can use what we know as a defense mechanism for that vulnerability in relationships. And so we moved slower by learning tools for being better listeners so we can take our relationships to the next level. Well, today we are going to move through So today we're going to talk about what happens when we are entering in as kingdom people to the messy world of relationships and we bump up against conflict. When my brokenness rubs off on your brokenness, when you say something that hurt me, when you post something that offends me, when you have a perspective that's different than me, when you have a story that I don't agree with, when there's spaces where we have conflict with other people, how do we move into that? as kingdom people? How do we move through from that brokenness in the relationship into wholeness? But before we do that, would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are our Prince of Peace and we get to be peacemakers in our relationships. So we invite you to come into this space and show us how to move through conflict. Show us how we can look at conflict as an opportunity for growth, and how we can look at the people that we are in conflict with as not our enemies, but as beloved brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord, so much that you are in this space. Thank you that we can be rowdy for you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Man, all right, I'm liking this. I'm liking this feedback. Y'all rock. Um, Okay, so how many of us, when I was talking about moving through conflict, when I was bringing up the different types of relational conflict that we have, could start to feel like a knot in your stomach? Maybe somebody came to your mind or a particular instance right now that's going on. Maybe there's something going on in your small group. Maybe there's something going on in your school or in your neighborhood, and you feel... All of the heat and anger from that conflict. And you are wondering, okay, Oshita, so yeah, uh, I'm a kingdom person and I'm about to enter into conflict. And you're saying that uh, we need to move through, but I don't know what that looks like for me. And I think that is a very common question that we all ask when we are faced with uh, a teaching about how we can be kingdom people in a messy world. It feels like we don't quite know how to enter in. And so we do something that's very natural we opt out, we run away. And, you know, the world that we live in kind of gives us permission to do that. There is this narrative that if a relationship is not conflict-free, if it's not perfect, if there's not 100% unity and red roses and, you know, uh, amazing R&B music playing every time that person walks in the room, (laughs) if that's not the case in our relationships, then there's something fundamentally wrong and we need to leave. And so our culture tells us that, you know, it's okay, girl, you don't have time for that toxic person. But I want to submit to you that as kingdom people, we need to view, we need to change how we view our conflict. We need to change how we view our conflict because it is the primary crucible for which our character is developed so that we can look like Jesus in our relationships. And so in today's message, we're going to first look at our conflict and change the way we think about our conflict in order so that we can look at the people who we are in conflict with and change the way we look at them. We're going to talk about changing our framework, and then I'm going to give you uh, some tips or a a technique that I use that helps me live out the love of Jesus in my relationship. And as I was thinking about you guys, as I was praying for you guys on on my way here, I was thinking, you know, what can I do to serve you? And I felt like I would not serve you if I came up here with my top 10 tricks for perfect relationships that I grabbed from some magazine, you know, a target. Or if I pulled the latest, greatest book on relationship techniques and just went down the list of what that author says. Because here's the thing. We are all different. We have different perspectives. And we have different personalities. And what works really well for my marriage may not work really well for your marriage. And I don't want to be the Holy Spirit for you. I want to leave space for the Holy Spirit to show you what can work. See, because I have tried to be the Holy Spirit for many people and many a times, and it went very, very bad. <laughs> and I'm not about to put myself in that position with you guys. So <laughs> instead of giving you the top 10 tricks and tips, what I'm going to do is I'm going to help us rethink our framework so we can be kingdom people, and then I'm going to give you two evergreen, or one evergreen uh, technique that I use that always helps me stay in line with that framework. So one thing that I like to do when I'm thinking about perseverance and commitment in our relationships is I like to reference Romans three, or sorry Romans 5, 3 through 5. It's going to be up there on the screen. So Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, we know that difficult situations produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So I like to say that the love of God is so great that we can, that as we are made whole by it, we can make the world whole. Um, I like to think about, when I think about the love of God, I always tell myself, Ushida, God loves you so much that he would rather die for you than live eternity without you that's commitment. And it's that same type of commitment that Jesus showed towards me that I need to show towards others. But we need to we need to think about Romans 3 or th- Romans 5, 3 through 5 as a framework for how we engage brokenness in our com- in our in conflict. How we engage it and how we move through from brokenness into wholeness. Now one of the things I want to make sure that I always do when I read a scripture and I get a, I get encouragement from it, I'm like, "Lord, I'm going to live that out today." One of the things I like to do is I like to stop and look at the context where that scripture was written. Who was writing it? Who, who were they writing it to? And so just to give you a little bit of context, because sometimes we can read something like Romans 5, 3 through 5, and we can be like, uh, Paul does not understand that my neighbor is on my last nerve. If he puts snow in front of my door again, I'm gonna go off. Well, I think Paul completely understood conflict, and I think Paul completely understood uh, the importance of encouraging kingdom people to move through the conflict, because let me tell you a little bit about the church in Rome. The church in Rome was made of five house churches, and I hear that you guys have house churches, so think about your house church that you're a part of or your growth group, and think about all the different personalities in that group. Think about all the different ways that people communicate in that group. Think about all the different perspectives in that group. Think about the different races in that group. Okay, so there are five, think, think of your group, then five of them. Now also, the church in Rome was made up of Jews and Gentiles at a time where there was not a precedent set for how Jews and Gentiles can be in community with one another, given their different backgrounds, given their different uh, preferences, given the different ways that they approach Jesus. There, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a precedent set for it. So in the church in Rome, we have Jews and Gentiles figuring it out. Also in the church in Rome, we have people who uh, are causing dissension. They're questioning Paul's leadership. And so they're starting conversations and, inclu- and encouraging division. And on top of all of that, you have a church of Jesus followers under a brutal Roman empire, the very same Roman empire that crucified Jesus. So the threat of persecution and the anxiety that comes with it was very high in this group. And in spite of all the external pressures, and in spite of all the internal conflict, Paul writes as an encouragement to them that says, stay the course. Move through the conflict, both without and within, in order to manifest the work of the Holy Spirit in their, king, in their community. And kingdom people, that's our calling. We are called to manifest the work of the Holy Spirit in our community. So I submit to you that Paul's words are true for us today. Many of us are in tense relationships with spouses and co-workers. Many of us are in tense relationships with family members, or we have a teenager who won't get out of bed in the morning because it's two degrees outside and he's not feeling going to school that day. Many of us are are in these experiences, and because of these experiences, the chasm feels so wide that we're not sure how to cross from the brokenness of the conflict into the wholeness of that relationship, so when we at Kingdom people start to talk about conflict and how to live it out counterculturally, there is this consternation, this this anxiety, the sense of uh, inadequacy that I totally get, I totally get. It. But Jesus doesn't stop being our Prince of Peace just because we have anxiety about conflict, right? We are called to be peacemakers in spite of that. We're called to move through from brokenness to wholeness. Because Jesus modeled an agape love for us, we are called to model an agape love in our relationship. So the first thing we need to do, which we've just talked about, is changing the way we look at conflict. If we view conflict as a quick fix, something we can throw a top 10 list at and, make it, and fix it right away, if we view it that way, then we will always feel disappointed when things don't work out the way we want But if we view it as our opportunity to become more Christ like and to embody the love of Jesus in a broken situation, we will endure. So, change the way we think about conflict. The next thing we need to do is change the way we think about the people we're in conflict with. So, when I think about conflict with someone, um, I'm tempted to be very me against her, us, and them. It's it's an impulse that I think our outside world really encourages. But I want to submit to you that image bearers are never our enemy. And so if image bearers are never our enemy, if God delights in every single person, even the person who annoys us, God delights in them just as much as he delights in us, then they can never be our enemy. So then how do we get them from that place of me versus her, us, them, enemy. How do we get them how do we get from that place to a place of fellow image bearer? Well I think we need to use Philippians four eight as a framework for how we think about the people we're in conflict with. Philippians four eight says Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is uh, lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So when I am encountering somebody who I feel like is poised to be my enemy, I have to stop and ask myself, is what I'm saying about them true? True. It's what I'm saying in my mind about them noble. It's what I'm saying right or excellent or praiseworthy. And if I don't, then that is a key, that's a clue for me that I have lost something essential in living out the love of Jesus in that relationship, and that's empathy. Empathy is this ability to put yourself in the other person's shoes. It's this ability to look at that person and say, I know where you've been, I know your experience, or at least I'm willing to know where you've been, and I'm willing to know your experience. I really love what Dr. Ebony Elizabeth Thomas says about empathy. She's a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. She says, empathy is the only superhuman superpower. It can shrink distance, cut through social and power hierarchies, transcend differences, and provoke political and social change. How many of us are in conflict right now with somebody? And they have become our enemy. We look at them as if they are our enemy. And so when we enter into any space with that person, we're prepared for a fight. It's about to go down on my porch if my neighbor brings that snow one more time. But I want to encourage you kingdom people, to start thinking about the people that we are in conflict with as not our enemies. What I like to do when I'm thinking about enemy love, loving my enemy, and accessing my empathy, is I like to say that the person who is just on the other side of my empathy, the person who I am unwilling to identify with, the person who has done something that I say I would never do that. When somebody has done that, that is my enemy. And so I have to hold tightly to empathy. We do this because we want to be kingdom storytellers. We want to tell better stories, Philippians 4, 8 types of stories to ourselves and possibly to them and then others. Let me give you an example of how I've had, how my husband and I have had to access empathy in our relationship uh, so that we are not each other's enemy because I don't have a survey that lets me say I can only be married for 20 hours a week. (laughs) (laughs) So when my husband and I have conflict, we're both very passionate, loud people, we have big ideas. When my husband and I have conflict, one of the things that we do is we tell a better story about each other, pretty close to the beginning of the conversation. It'll look like something like this. Babe, I know we're on the same page here. We want the same thing for our family. Babe, I know that you've done a lot of research about this, so you have a lot of ideas about it. I respect that. Babe, I know you're not trying to attack me when you said that. You're just frustrated because we can't figure this out. And I could have never gotten to those places where I could say those things to my husband or he says those things to me unless he starts in his mind telling a better story about me. Now, I have an example that I want to share with you that is my absolute favorite example right now of telling a better story when we are faced with somebody who is at odds with us, when we are poised to be someone's enemy. And it is from the Disney movie Moana. I'm not going to be ashamed, guys. I'm going to stand up here, unashamed, and tell you that I am so here for Moana. If somebody were to ask me, Oshita, who is your favorite Disney princess? I'd be like, first off, she's not a princess. Get that straight. She is a chief's, chieftain's daughter, all right? But she's still my favorite. So Moana, if you're not familiar with the story, we're going to show a clip from it in a moment. But if you're not familiar with the story, Moana is a story about a, a, a chieftain's daughter, not a princess, who lives on this island. And on this island, they have everything they need. It is a flourishing island where they have community, and they have creativity, and they have food, and they can sing Lin-Manuel Miranda songs all the live long day. It is the ideal, perfect place. They even have a song that says, on the island, we have everything we need. These people are content. And yet, there is one person, Moana, who is discontent. She knows that there is something else outside of this island There's more to her calling. There's more to her community's calling outside of this island. And so she wrestles a lot with this with her father. And it's in the midst of all this wrestling that something happens on the island. Their resources become scarce. The coconut begins to rot. There are no fish in the lagoon. They have a tribal meeting where everybody has all this anxiety except for one person, Moana's grandmother. Moana's grandmother reminds Moana of a, of a creation story about a goddess named Te and how she created all of the islands and all of the people were moving from islands together. And there was not just wholeness on one island, but wholeness across the, uh, across the globe. There was flourishing and goodness. Everyone had what they needed. And then something happened. Somebody took the heart of Tefiti and entered in this destructive force called Taka that, that brought the lack of scarcity and the danger to the islands. And so everybody stayed in their own spaces. They stayed on their own islands. They never cross pollinated. They never had relationships. They found everything they needed on their islands until the brokenness begins to spread. And so Moana is like, here's what I'ma do. I'ma go and I'ma take down Taka, and then I'm gonna find Te Fiti. I'm gonna give her back her heart that was stolen from her because that was the thing that cat- that was the catalyst for the for the uh, brokenness. I'ma do all that, and then the world's gonna be better. So Moana went into this conflict really prepared to go power over, like showing how she's gonna use force to fix the conflict. But something happens. And she ends up having to come underneath with love and tell a better story. Let's watch the clip. Isn't that beautiful? The thing that was once dead. That's right. The thing that was once dead and burnt. The thing that was once thought as a destructive force was actually set free into their flourishing because Moana told a better story. Now, I have to tell you guys that I saw Moana four times in the theater. I will not be ashamed of that. I will not be ashamed of the fact that I bought it the day that it came out and I had chocolate and tissues and I was like, just ready, just crying, crying all the time. My kids are like, mom, get over it. It's a Disney story. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's more, it's a kingdom story. It's a kingdom story because this is what Moana did. She looked right at her her enemy, the person who was poised to be in conflict with her. She looked right at them and she told a better story. This is what Moana said. She looked at Taka and she said, you are not a destructive and terrifying demon. You are creative and beautiful and kind and generous. You are not interested in defending destruction and causing destruction and causing scarcity. That's not what you want. Something essential has been taken away from you, and I am here to restore it. Yes. She, said, she said, you are not doomed to live this way forever. You know who you are, and I know who you are, and I will call that out in you. That's a better story, y'all. It's a better story because it's exactly the kind of story that Jesus told us from the cross. Jesus stood and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. While Jesus was justified in cursing and shaming, he told a better story. While Jesus was nailed to the cross, he proclaimed that we are worthy of forgiveness, not punishment. You are not the bloodthirsty mob I see before me but lost children in need of restoration. You are not malicious and violent. You're terrified of your vulnerability. You are not scheming and manipulative. You know not what you do. And my friends, I submit to you that we can say the same thing to the people we are in conflict with. You are not my enemy. So when, lot, every single breath that Jesus had mattered. He chose to bless and not condemn. And when Jesus told better stories, he reframed the conflict. And he reframed the way we look at people we're in conflict with. And you and I have the exact power to do so. Now, I want to say something. Because sometimes we are in conflict with someone and they are hurting us. And it's a legitimate, painful hurt that makes us feel unsafe. Either physically or for our mental health. And in those times, I want to encourage you, my friends, that the loving, Christ-like thing to do is to honor the Imago Dei within yourself. It is not any less self-sacrificial loving to look at that person and say, I love you enough to not let you stay the way you are. And if I stay in this relationship with you and allow you to continue hurting me, you are continuing that destructive path, so you need help. And so I want to set you free from any shame you might be feeling if you're in that situation to say, Oh, like I so want to do that, but I'm in this relationship and it feels unhealthy. My friend, if it feels unhealthy, I encourage you to value yourself to the leaders of Woodland Hills and and let them help you discern if this is something that you need to move through or this is something you need to move away from. So there are two things that I do. when I want to practice telling better stories, two kinds of better stories, rather, that I want to practice when I am in conflict with somebody, when I want to hold on to my empathy, when I don't want to view them as my enemy. The first is is I give them a backstory. And I love this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that really helps me discern how to give someone a backstory. And he says, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or omit to do, and more in light of what they suffer. This quote became very meaningful for me when I was in therapy several years ago because as a young girl, I was abused. Um, I had somebody who was very close to my family, who was very close to my parents, um, touched me inappropriately. And this went on for years. And this person was very uh, angry and hateful towards me They would tell me regularly that I wasn't supposed to be born, that I ruined their life, that I was no good. But the only time this person was ever kind to me was in those moments of abuse. And because of that, because of the dynamic in our relationship, I began to tell myself a story that that I had nothing to offer um, the world unless I gave myself. Unless I poured out myself, um, either, either physically or over emotionally, I got my sense of life and identity from what I could do from people. And so I was in therapy once, and I was talking this through with this person, with my therapist, and I was talking about these feelings that I was having and how I was, I was so upset because I was feeling like there was a lot of conflict in my marriage that, was com- that stemmed from this abuse that happened to me. And my therapist asked me a question that completely changed my paradigm for when I, how I think about this person who hurt me. She said, "Oshida, why do you think they did that? And at first I was like, wait, hold up, she's supposed to be on my side. But as we started talking, I realized that this person was hurt themselves, that this person felt deeply offended when I was born, and it took away something precious in his relationship with my parents, and that this person was taking out all of that pain and all of that anger on me. It didn't make it right, but it gave me empathy for him. So, I started telling myself a backstory whenever I was thinking about this person, whenever I'd want to blame them for what they did to me that's causing conflict in my life right now. I had to stop and say, This person was hurt. They lost something essential. They know not what they do. So, the first thing I do is I give a backstory. And if I can't give a backstory, if for whatever reason I don't know enough about this person or I can't, in that moment of anger, come up with a, a backstory, use my imagination for holy purposes, if I can't do that, then what I do is I give them a beloved story. Which is a story, it's like it's, it's my evergreen story. It works in all instances of conflict because here's the thing, y'all. Every single person in this room is an image bearer of God. Every single person in this room is called beloved by God. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess your mind up now. And every single person you know is an image bearer of God. And every single person you know is called beloved by God. This became really real for me when I was on a team that was planning an event And I was, I kind of had a role where I had to do, had to get a lot done. So a lot of the logistics fell on me. A lot of the stuff fell on me um, to get it done. Um, We were planning this huge event that was going to bless a ton of people in our community. And we all wanted it to go really well. Um, And so I was the person that had to make sure that all the I's were dotted and all the T's were crossed. And so I'm on this team with this person. Her name was Lisa and lisa kind of had a super like a like a mid level supervisor role and um I noticed that as we were planning the event, a lot of balls were getting dropped, and I had a lot of questions, and Lisa wasn't answering those questions, and I was getting really frustrated with her. And so the day of the event comes, and a lot of things go wrong at this event. A lot of things go wrong. And so we're in a debrief meeting with our supervisor, and she comes in, and she's all, why did this work, why didn't this work, and what happened here? And this person was so offended by this thing. And Lisa throws me under the bus. And I'm in this position where I'm like, I can't really speak up against this person because I want to grow with this company. And I felt really helpless and hopeless. So here's what I started doing, you guys. And this was me not telling a better story. Don't do this. So I thought, who was the worst person that I could, that I could compare Lisa to? And it's Voldemort from Harry Potter. So I started calling her she who must not be named around my husband. And we always knew that that was Lisa because my kids knew Lisa. And, I, you know, you don't, want your, you don't want to act a fool in front of your kids, right? So I started calling her she who must not be named. And so then I, I upped the ante with telling a destructive story about Lisa. I was in a group of my friends, and all of these women had their own issues with Lisa. And so we kind of turned to an upcoming event that we're all working on, and we start bad mouthing, Lisa. And so I'm like, <laughs> I'm so funny. I got something to share. I'm like, yeah, she's like Volda, Lisa. Because I took Voldemort and Lisa had made a portmanteau. And I was like, well, Shitty, you were so smart. And everybody started laughing. They're like, Volda, Lisa. That's hilarious. And as they're laughing, I'm starting to feel a little good about myself. And then the Holy Spirit says, you know, she's a daughter of God too, just like you you have a daughter. How would you feel if somebody spoke about your daughter the way you're talking about Lisa? And I was convicted. So you see, my friends, we can tell better stories, but we can also tell destructive stories. And so I had to ask for forgiveness and I had to start telling myself every single time I worked with Lisa for the next several years, I had to tell myself, she is a beloved daughter of God. And that helped me access some empathy to when I could say, she is just trying to do a good job in front of her supervisor. She is trying to save face. So I went from a beloved story to a backstory, story and I was telling about her story and I was telling a kingdom story and I changed our relationship. To this day, Lisa and I are friends. Now, she knows I called her Voldasha, Volda, Volda Lisa. She knows I called her Volda Lisa and because, you know, I had to confess to her and we worked through that. I moved through that brokenness into wholeness. But it's all, we're all the better for it. Amen. So I want to say to you, my friends, I'm going to ask you, are you in a relationship that feels hopeless? Are you in a relationship with somebody who gets on your last nerve? Are you in a relationship with somebody who is, who is just on the other side of your empathy? They do things that you just don't understand. They do things you would never do. They say things you would never say. Are you in those types of relationships and you're tempted to opt out, to run away? If so, may I encourage you to move through. May I encourage you to press through the hurt that brokenness in our relationships can cause so that you can begin to embody the love of Jesus in that relationship. The truth is, my friends, you may be the only person that can tell that person that they are beloved. You may be the only ambassador of the kingdom of God in that relationship. Because I deeply believe that the world is looking for better stories, whole stories of wholeness stories of goodness stories of happiness stories of inclusion and you and i are tasked to tell those better stories so will you be better storytellers with me because because there is always room in these stories for one more character arc, more character development for ourselves and the people we're in conflict with. There's always room for one more plot twist of peace. There's always room for one more conflict resolution. There's always room for a happy ending, and that happy ending is that all are beloved and all are belonged, and the kingdom of God has come near. So my friends, will you push through the hurt and the pain Will you move your relationships to the next level? Will you love like Jesus loved and tell better stories in your relationships? If you will, join me in prayer. Jesus, you are our great storyteller. You told a story of redemption. You told a story of belonging. You told a story of inclusion. You told a story of peace. And we want to be a part of that story. Every one of us holds a pen in our hands with which we can write a better story about the people we're in conflict with. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit gives us the sentences and the words and the thoughts and the blessings that we can write about the people we're in conflict with. I also pray for your Holy Spirit to give my brothers and sisters wisdom and discernment if they're in spaces that feel incredibly unsafe for them, where moving through and pressing through would actually violate their Amago Day and not honor you as our Prince of Peace. We love you so much, Lord, and we just want to make you proud. And we just want to live out your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven because this world is desperate. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. At this point, I want to invite the prayer team to come up. And if there is somebody that you are in conflict with or that you that came to your mind as I was talking about uh, moving through from brokenness to wholeness, I encourage you to come and receive prayer. If you're in a space where you feel unsafe, please, please, please receive prayer and guidance. Um, if there's anything else going on, please receive prayer. Go in peace to love and serve your community. community. Be an ambassador for the kingdom of God and tell better stories. Amen. Yeah.